a regular investor into mutual funds, you'll have come across before a fund fact sheet, which sums up the objectives, holdings, fees, risks and performance of a fund you might choose to invest in. Most investors rarely read the entire document and often don't even peruse the executive summary. However, a fund fact sheet contains important information. So what are the key points you should look for when you see a fund fact sheet for a product you're considering investing in? To tell us, I'm joined now by Tariq Dennison, Portfolio Manager at GFM Asset Management. Good morning, Tariq. Good morning, Peter. Should we be reading these fund fact sheets more carefully? Of course. I consider a fun fact sheet to be very much like a nutrition label. Uh, if you have an allergy to something, you should definitely make sure that your allergy is not in the item of food that you're about to consume or that it doesn't have too many calories or too much sugar. The same exact thing with a fun fact sheet. It makes sure that you're buying a fund that meets your objectives and you're not paying too much for it. So you don't want to find some nasty surprises inside your fund. No, nor in a lot of your uh, food either. So what are the key things fun fact sheets tell us about? Well, the first and most obvious thing is it should tell you what the fund does, what the fund actually invests in. In, in other words, is this a cash or money market fund, which is meant to keep your the value of your investment very stable and really pay you a very low interest rate? Or is this a stock fund where it's really meant to grow and go up and down with the market, possibly doubling every few years? Those are two very, very different types of funds. Another very important thing a fund fact sheet should tell you is the cost, is the price. Mm-hmm. Um, just the same way that a nutrition label will tell you the number of calories and the price tag will will tell you the price. I'm very surprised how often I speak with people here in Hong Kong who don't know how much they're paying on their funds. And there are multiple levels of, of these fees when you talk about a mutual fund. There's the ongoing annual charge, which can easily cost you $10,000 per year per million dollars invested. Plus, there's very often an upfront sales charge or front-end load, uh, which can very often be 2 to 5% on a typical fund investment. So some funds on similar investment portfolios and have similar performance could charge vastly different um, fees. So presumably that's something you should look into fairly closely because that eats into your performance, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's the, you could, the classic example here in Hong Kong is the Hang Seng Index. There are 50 stocks in the Hang Seng Index. Mm. You can buy the Hang Seng Index for 0.1% per year with no upfront fee, or you can pay 1.5% per year to access pretty much the exact same stock portfolio. Um, I'm not always saying that there shouldn't be a, a room for more expensive funds. It's just that if you're paying that higher fee, you should be getting a much higher level of service or some other benefit that the cheaper fund is not providing you. And maybe more performance? Should you, If you're paying higher fees, should you... You won't get more performance if the funds are holding the exact same thing. There's just mathematically no way for them to do it. In fact, fees with the exact same uh, investment are guaranteed to give you lower performance. There's a saying that performance is uncertain, but fees are certain. Um, now, there is another argument in the fund universe of should you pay higher fees for an active manager who is going to try and beat the market? And that's an active debate that people will go back and forth. In theory, uh, yes, you some people will always want to pay an active manager to try and beat the market, to try and, and do something a little bit differently. But many active managers are closet indexers holding the same exact funds in the index but charging active prices. So in general, do active fund managers tend to beat the index? Is uh, that- on average, they can't. 
Mathematically, mm. they can't. If you think of what's the performance of the overall market, every active manager is selling either to an index fund or to another active manager. So on average, all the active managers in the world have to have the same performance of the index. It's a zero-sum game, and it becomes a negative-sum game once you subtract out their fees. Now, that said, there are some factors that we have found that time and time again tend to outperform the market. For example, buying cheaper stocks instead of the glamorous, more expensive stocks tends to outperform over time. Buying higher quality companies with lower debt tends to outperform over, over time. But the good news is that once we've identified these factors, we can get exposure to them for much cheaper prices than active managers have done before. It's certainly the case, though, isn't it, that if I look at an actively managed, say, Hong Kong fund mm -hmm. and compare it to an index fund, which I could buy through, say, an ETF, mm -hmm. the ETF is always going to be much cheaper in terms of fees. So why shouldn't I just go buy the ETF every time? Well, there I... I'm surprised that the ETF market isn't much larger than it is in Hong Kong. And I definitely feel nine out of 10 cases when I speak to someone who buys a mutual fund, they could buy an ETF, which would do, uh, which would do the exact same thing. Now, a few caveats there. E the ETF market in Hong Kong is relatively small and relatively expensive compared to what you would see in the US or the, or the UK. That's a chicken and egg problem because without a bigger ETF market, you won't have more people going into it. But fees are one reason that, that more people don't buy ETFs. Now, part number two is there may be reasons somebody wants something in the form of an active fund. This is less in the case of a stock fund and I think more in the case of a bond fund. There are very, very few bond ETFs in Hong Kong. And for most people, the way that they access high-yield credit is still through actively managed funds. So in that case, it's important that I know what is in this fund. Um, so I suppose the first thing that should give us a clue is what the fund's actually called. Mm -hmm. The fund name. Um, now, I don't expect everyone to get this on the first go, but there actually is a very clear pattern when you look at the fund name and you can – get an idea of what it, what is in it. You cannot call something a stable value fund if it's a stock fund. Mm. And if you see something as a growth fund, you first of all know that it's probably a stock fund and it's probably not a value stock fund. So there are things that you can find in just the name of the fund itself, which will give you a very good glue to what's in it. But you had mentioned that many users don't even read the executive summary. The executive summary is meant to be short and it's meant to answer some of those frequently asked questions. Does this invest in Hong Kong stocks or US stocks? Does it buy dividend paying stocks or growth stocks? Is it technology stocks? Does it have another sector focus? Those are important things you want to know to make sure there's no overlap and that you know what you're getting. And will the fund fact sheet tell me what is in the fund? So uh, usually it may not give you the entire holdings, but at least it should give you the top 10 holdings and sometimes some pie charts in terms of what the main exposures are. And this would be geographic exposures and sector exposures. So for example, a, you would expect a Hong Kong stock fund to first of all tell you what the top 10 holdings are, Tencent, HSBC, China Construction Bank. You would also expect it to be 100% invested in Hong Kong stocks and not have any New Zealand stocks or UK stocks or Swiss stocks. And you would also expect to see what is the sector exposure. So so there is some technology, lots of banks, lots of property, but that's the nature of the Hong Kong market. If you see a fund that says technology fund, you would want to understand it is only investing in technology companies and it's not investing in, say, banks or healthcare companies. And what about the performance of the fund? Am I going to find information about that and about the sort of risks I'm taking with that fund? You will. Performance is the uh, is the part of the fact sheet I think most investors' eyes tend to naturally gravitate towards to. But what's important to remember is that that's past performance. It's not going to tell you what you will earn, but there is other important information in the performance of the fund. Mostly, if you uh, see, for example, the performance is more or less in line with a certain index that you follow. If the Hang Seng Index was up 7% last month and this fund was up 7%, that tells you something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to go up 7% again, but it tells you this probably is correlated with the Hang Seng 
holding index. And it should tell me a little bit about the risks involved in that fund, I presume, of holding those stocks. The fact sheet should, although the uh, metrics for measuring risk of a fund, I would say, are not as standardized and not as widely understood by the public as they should be. There, are, You will see metrics like a sharp ratio or a beta, which will roughly tell you how much the fund moves, either absolutely or relative to a benchmark or relative to, to its return. Uh, that's one area where I believe there needs to be a lot more financial education, is helping investors understand what those metrics mean and how to choose a fund with the right risk level. Thank you very much, Tariq. Thank you, Peter. That was Tariq Dennison, Portfolio Manager from GFM Asset Management. That's all for today. Next Saturday on Money Talk Extra, I'll delve into the results of a recruitment study in Hong Kong, which provides an in-depth analysis of local employees' current attitudes towards their employers and the workplace. Jimmy Lam will hear from a listener who's the sole breadwinner in his family. And I'll talk with the Hong Kong Police Commercial Crime Bureau about the spate of fraud and investment scams that have targeted Hong Kongers. Please join us next Saturday morning. From me, Peter Lewis, bye for now. Bye.